Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have been rocking and rolling over here and I am so excited for so many things. I have legit butterflies in my stomach when I think about them and I'm going to keep you in suspense and save some of the updates for one more week because, well, first of all, one of the things I'm really excited about today is my guest, and I definitely want to get to that as quickly as possible. Um, But some of the things need to marinate just a little bit longer. So I will keep you on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what said exciting things are. If you are a loyal listener, you're probably aware that the focus this month is on connection. And so far, we've touched on connection within ourselves, connection with others. And today, we're going to get into an endless world of connection, connections, which is your brain. Um, That was me trying to do the Twilight Zone music. It didn't really work out so well. Anyway, I love learning about what goes on inside of us, be it the brain, our emotions, and just how our inner worlds affect our outer worlds, how understanding that can help us to show up best and live to our fullest potential. Quick sidebar into who I am and what I do in case you are not a loyal listener, uh, but which by the way, I truly hope you will be. I am Emily Aborn. I'm a content writer. I'm the host of this podcast and I'm owner and founder of She Built This, which is a community for women entrepreneurs. It's a free community for women entrepreneurs where we offer tons of cheering on and groupthink and resources. And you can learn all about the things that I'm up to and how to get involved with us a little bit more at shebuiltthis.org, which is actually how I met today's guest. So let's dive into what she, she will be bringing us as well as what the topic du jour is. In the past four years, I have heard a lot of individuals in general uh, use terms like neurodivergent to describe themselves or others. And especially in the women's entrepreneurial space, I've seen a lot more language around ADHD, neurodivergency, and not being, quote, neurotypical. All of these conversations have extremely piqued my interest. And to really put the icing on my curiosity cake, my husband, who is 43 years old, was diagnosed just this past year with ADHD after going his entire life to date, uh, feeling that he wasn't exactly normal in his brain. And I think if I had to guess, um, experiencing a little bit of maybe regret or frustration or feelings of being let down because he didn't have all the tools he needed or an understanding of what was going on inside of his brain prior to now. Um, And just let's just talk to the word normal it doesn't even really exist. I mean, it's kind of like the word regular, right? None of us are normal. None of us are regular. We're all literally wired completely differently and have our own little unique quirks and burps and hiccups. But specifically related to ADHD, um, and I know that this is not a unique experience, 
my husband was facing some challenges and when he finally got a chance to sit down with somebody to get some support and share them, he felt really seen and really heard. So I started to use the information and the conversations with him as an opportunity for myself to really start like understanding how his brain works as a person with ADHD, how his experience of the world differs from mine, and just understand a little bit more about like, what does it feel like to have to fit into societal norms when you feel like they're kind of the antithesis to how your brain works best? What does it feel like to just kind of lose interest in something and and not be able to find the motivation to do it again? What does it mean to not have to, quote, think outside the box because you never saw a damn box in the first place? It can be easy to see how if society is telling you you, quote, should be one way, you could get frustrated. And I think this goes for many different aspects of our uniqueness and differences when people see things one way and they can't possibly understand how you would see things a different way or maybe they think a certain way or they operate a different way um, and it's just completely different different from you and you can't comprehend what they are trying to deliver in the way that they're trying to deliver it. And I think the path forward for all of us is creating bridges of understanding and curiosity, understanding one another, talking openly with one another about our unique experiences, and whenever possible, offering ways to support and provide things in a way that do work for the other parties involved. I think that no matter what differences you're facing, open dialogue versus just brushing things under the rug are the way to go, and conversation and communication versus hiding and ignoring help you to find more connection with others in your life. And that is something I'm working on in my marriage as well as in my personal relationships right now too. And I know that it's easier said than done, but just asking myself and those around me, like how can we truthfully express our needs, give each other permission to have and fill those needs and find support when we're struggling to do so. And that is why... Uh, when Shelly Lyons joined the She Built This group, I said, oh my gosh, you need to be on my podcast. Well, I didn't say you need to do anything, but I said, would you like to be on my podcast? Shelly Lyons helps coach individuals with ADHD get from where they are to seeing the light and being open to possibilities and then taking the steps to get to where they want to go. Shelly Lyons is an ADHD life and career coach and neurodiversity business consultant and speaker with over 20 years of professional experience in coaching human resources leadership, disability programs, education, and corporate work cultures. Shelly proudly identifies as an ADHDer, and after a late diagnosis at age 39, and having to overcome a lot of positive and challenging life experiences, she's now living her purpose as a professional coach. She supports clients using a holistic and strength-based approach, which we get into in this episode, and really helps others to achieve their intentions, personal, professional, academic, uh, with more self-awareness, more joy, and more peace. So I hope that you learn something that you didn't know before, and I hope that you enjoy this episode and this conversation with Shelly as much as I did. Hi, Shelly, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm happy to be here. 
I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy we could finally make the stars align and make this work. Um, and of course, before you joined us, I read your full like professional bio, but I really just love hearing like a little bit of a story in your own words, like what brought you to what you do now and what epiphanies along the way kind of got you to hone in on where you're focusing. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. So I am proudly an ADHD woman, a neurodivergent. Uh, so I started my own business, Shelly Lyons Coaching, last year in 2022 to support an underserved, stigmatized, and generally misunderstood population. That's ADHD and other neurodivergent adults. Uh, so that's autistic adults, dyslexic, um, and, and others uh, who have a different way of thinking and being in the world. And uh, right now I am an ADHD life and career coach, and I partner with amazing people to support them in living the life they've always wanted. Um, so a number of life experiences have, have brought me here. Uh, first and foremost, I spent almost 40 years of my life with undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, in hindsight, this really had a profound impact on me uh, in some ways, really great and positive and others not so great. Um, but I wouldn't change any of it, even if I could, uh, because I think all those you know, struggles that I went through have brought me to where I am today and um, I'm doing what I love. I'm coaching people. Um, so there's a few other things that brought me here today, but I'll pause there. Yeah. I love that reflection about um, that, it, that you, that maybe it would have been helpful for you to know sooner and that you also wouldn't have traded it for the world because of the experiences that you had and the insights that it brought you. I've heard that from other folks who maybe experience a late diagnosis or are not, you know, uh, officially diagnosed. And I want to get into that, like kind of what a late diagnosis looks like. Um, but let's start with just like some basic terms. What does the term ADHD mean, but also what does it not mean? Because I don't know if you've seen this in the entrepreneurial space, but it is kind of it is tossed around a little bit as a joke, right? And people saying like, oh, that's just my ADHD brain when I don't know if everybody is actually using it accurately. Yeah, thank you for asking because one of the things that I try to be really intentional about, whether I'm just speaking in casual conversation or you know, being here with you today or um, in my coaching practice is really coming at ADHD from a strengths-based lens. And it's something that is not done uh, in my opinion, enough in social media, you know, media itself and writing stories about it. Uh, I think I saw one story uh, regarding the epidemic of ADHD. It is not an epidemic. It is not a disease. It is not something to be cured. Uh, so most of us grow up, you know, thinking of ADHD as, you know, this quote unquote behavioral issue, primarily for boys who didn't sit still and disrupted class. They were often thought of, you know, as less intelligent, having less potential and just troublemakers. And this couldn't be further from the truth. ADHD is not a behavior issue. It's not present in boys or men only. 
it may present differently in girls and women, and therefore we go undiagnosed for sometimes our entire lives. Uh, it does not go away as adults. Uh, it's not something that needs to go away or be fixed or cured. Um, ADHD is not something to be ashamed of, although there is a lot of shame um, that's built up through how we're you know, treated and the norms of, you know, a neurotypical, um, you know, expectations that are on us. And ADHD certainly does not mean you are less intelligent or less capable. Um, and it's not a deficit of attention. So the name ADHD itself, uh, to me, is incredibly misleading and I think detrimental, really, and I think contributes to this ongoing, you know, misunderstanding and you know, unnecessary shame when there's actually a tremendous amount to appreciate and, and celebrate about ADHD. Now, I say all that recognizing that there are real challenges along with it as well, many that I experience. So I don't say that to just, you know, ignore those because um, a lot of people are struggling with some of those challenges. But I always try to make sure I'm starting with <laughs> the um, some of the strengths of ADHD. So I really appreciate you calling that out. Um, and I want to give you full, and I want people to hear me say this, but I always want to give you full permission to like, tell me if I'm not saying something right, or if, um, you know, if there's a myth that you need to clear up that I'm, that I'm speaking incorrectly towards. Okay. Um, can you share some of the hallmark characteristics, maybe how you experience ADHD? Sure. Um, so again, I want to start with the strengths. <laughs> so how I, I experience ADHD um, is my ability to not see a box. <laughs> so when people say think outside the box, I'm like, what box? Um, it just doesn't exist. Um, I think very quickly, I have, a, you know, probably, I don't know, couple thousand ideas, you know, every few hours, it feels like. Um, I make connections very quickly in my mind between often seemingly kind of disparate things. So I can kind of just connect ideas uh, very easily. And that's something I didn't realize that other people don't naturally do. Uh, I can see the big picture and as well as hone in kind of on the small details of things. Uh, and a lot of, you know, my ADHD clients are, are really just creative and innovative people, uh, even if they're not necessarily in quote unquote, you know, creative fields in how they approach their work and do things. They come at it with this different way of thinking. Um, and, you know, how I experience it in the more challenging ways relates to some of the quote unquote executive functioning aspects. So executive functioning, meaning things like organizing information, planning, uh, you know, time management, uh, working memory or your, your short-term memory. So as a concrete example, my wife loves Diet Coke. I'm a coffee drinker. She will regularly ask me, you know, do you mind while you're up, you know, grab me a Diet Coke. Um, we both work from home. And I'm like, oh, so sure, you know, walking in the other room. And literally by the time I walk 15 steps, it's gone. 
and she knows if I haven't returned within about 90 seconds with her Diet Coke, I've likely just forgotten. And that's something that can be really frustrating for a lot of ADHDers and their partners if they don't understand what's going on. Um, so they think, you know, maybe they don't care or, you know, they just, they're just ignoring me when that's not the case. That's a really interesting insight in and of itself and probably part of where some of that shame comes in, right? It's like, well, why can't I just do this simple thing? Like remember to get a Diet Coke. Um, and it's, it's, it's helpful to hear this because it's not about that. It's literally like a just different way that your brain is functioning. Yes, that's exactly right. And I tell all my clients that who are trying to do this quote unquote simple thing, Mm. we use quotes a lot (laughs) because this simple thing, I say simple is not easy. And that's something that when I was a client years ago, pre-diagnosis, this amazing coach that I had the opportunity to work with, Allie Wilkinson, said that to me at the time, and it really struck a chord. Um, And now I I share that because what might be simple for someone else, whether that's another ADHD person who's actually really good at organizing, and those folks do exist, we're all very different, it is a spectrum, um, that there are things that others are incredibly frustrated by. It's like, you know, why can't I just cook dinner? Why can't I just feed the dog and give him the meds at this, you know, why is this so hard? And part of it is um, the executive functioning aspect of our brain and that um, it is just, it is structurally different. And so for us, it's really important to break down steps of whatever that simple but not easy activity is. So what you think might be one thing, when we dive into it and explore it through a coaching session, sometimes it can be upwards of 25 different steps that are going into that one thing. Um, And a lot of ADHD folks, when they're newly diagnosed especially, they don't realize that and they don't realize that that's what is helpful to their brain. But then once they identify and do the sort of organizing of information and planning, then they they can do that thing. Yeah, it seems really helpful to put tools in place, like, first of all, understand your own brain and put tools in place to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. Um, I have another question experience-wise, and then I want to dive into some other topics. But um, one experience I've heard often is if a uh, person with ADHD is not interested in doing a thing, it's like exceptionally challenging them for them to motivate themselves to do the thing. Like almost to the point of like, I can't do it if I'm not into it. (laughs) It, it, Has that been your experience? Do you hear that often? Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the core aspects actually of ADHD uh, in that it is an interest-based brain. So that is very much the case. And this is where some of the shame and stigma around, you know, people saying, well, you can do this for hours on end. You know, why can't you, you know, do this for five minutes? Um, and it's, it's not, it's not our fault. It's not that we are trying to, um, that we're not trying to do whatever that thing is that isn't of interest to us. So when I work with clients, that's one of the first places we start when they're having a challenge, you know, doing something or planning their week out, whatever it might be we look at, you know, how interested are they in it? Um, And then from there, 
you know, we, we dive in. Um, and when you're not interested in something, it really can be incredibly hard. But what I will say is with appropriate, you know, tools and, and strategies and, and things in, in place to help get you there, you can do things that you're not interested in that are hard for you. But I think, you know, well, there's par- partners or, or parents out there, um, you know, friends, roommates to recognize that this person isn't intentionally, you know, not doing that thing. It is literally how their brain um, works and it works differently than, than theirs might. So it's really important for ADHDers to understand their interests, uh, especially when it terms of career and, uh, you know, a lot of ADHDs can, can struggle, um, why a lot end up being entrepreneurs um, because they can manage their own energy and, and make their own hours typically and do something that they're interested in on a regular basis. So that's a really important part of it. Uh, but I will say, um, don't give up hope. <laughs> and if you're doing something that you're not incredibly interested in, um, or if you have to pull together your taxes or, you know, get bills paid or, or make, you know, appointments, those kind of administrative type things can be really draining on the energy of ADHD folks. Um, so sometimes chunking those tasks together and doing them at the same time. So making a series of phone calls over, you know, an hour span and then not coming back to that um, can be helpful as opposed to bringing it in and out through the day. Whereas if there's something that you're interested in, you're more likely to be able to pick up that at any point and you can hyper-focus and spend hours doing it and literally forget that you need to eat, drink water, get up to go to the bathroom, um, which in and of itself um, isn't necessarily a great thing, but managing hyper-focus is how some people are really, really productive. And, and I imagine really, really creative and, and producing like such uh, large amounts of that creative energy. Um, all right. I would like to, I would love, if you don't mind, to move on to kind of like, in your opinion or in the research, do you find that ADHD is becoming more prevalent? Um, and, and then I also, I guess my own, my question for you, I know I asked two questions in one, so parse these, parse these out as you need to. Um, but my other question for you is like, as a person who received a late diagnosis, how did that affect your experience? And do you think that that is happening a lot and that's why it's becoming more prevalent? So I hope I married those two together. Okay. For you. <laughs> yeah. So let me just clarify. So when you say, how does that affect my experience? Can you tell me a little bit more about? Yeah. Like you, you had mentioned at the beginning that if you had received a, a diagnosis earlier in life, it would have made some things easier for you, though you wouldn't have traded it for the world. So I guess just what kind of, what kind of things would it have made easier if you'd known, you know, when you were a child, um, that this was, this was happening. Got it. Thanks. So let me start there. Um, so growing up, I, I relied on cliff notes a lot. Uh, if folks don't know what those are, they're like little summaries. Uh, you'd get at Barnes and Nobles back in the day, pre-Amazon. I remember and those, like the little yellow books. I think exactly, they were yellow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So those were a lifesaver for me. Um, so there weren't audiobooks then. And what I didn't realize what was happening to me when I would try to read is I would be reading the same page and the same words over and over and over again. And like, it just, it wasn't sinking in. Uh, and I don't know if that's because I maybe wasn't interested potentially in 
some of the, the books that were being assigned. Um, but I definitely had just difficulty with reading and I didn't, I just didn't know it. And, you know, I ended up going to, you know, an Ivy League school and, you know, played basketball and later got my, you know, graduate degree. And so by all, you know, sort of, you know, just, uh, you know, some people's standards were, well, and a smart person. But up until my diagnosis, I honestly felt stupid, mm-hmm. even though I'd had these two degrees and, and some career success and people told me I was smart, I never felt it. And I think that goes back to not understanding my own brain and not having a self-awareness around my own ADHD. Um, and so had I known when I was younger, I would have been able to, I think, get the appropriate support that I needed to um to, you know, to learn how to, you know, read better, or, you know, maybe there were audiobooks, you know, back then in some form that I, I wasn't familiar with, or I could have, you know, recorded or um, things. So I, there's other things I just would have tried related to some of my, my challenges. Uh, in college, I regularly would stay up for all-nighters to write papers. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> because my, my brain just wouldn't kick into you know, the mode of, okay, time to get this done. It's due at eight. It's midnight. Let's go. Um, and, and I did well, you know? Um, so looking back, I'm like, wow, actually I, that's, that's just how I, how I managed. But as what people find over their life when they're, you know, on their own, they're potentially able to have these, you know, um, strategies. And that's what those were. Cliff notes were, was a strategy for me. Um, you know, staying up and pulling all nighters to write papers to get them in on time was a strategy for me. But, you know, as you have kids, as you have, you know, more responsibility later in life, those things no longer work. So um, recognizing that, you know, being able to work with your brain and understanding it more and giving yourself opportunities to put supports and structures in place that work for you. Um, are, are really important. Um, so do you find that it is, it is actually becoming more prevalent or the term is just being more kind of widely accepted? Cause yeah, so- I, 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 this is my context. Um, I do feel that when, when we were young people, ADHD was not as commonly used and it was what you referred to earlier. You kind of pictured it as the, you know, little boy in your classroom that's causing problems. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think unfortunately a lot of people still think that way. So I wouldn't say um, it's as widely accepted. Um, unfortunately, I think we're making some progress, especially with more people, you know, sharing their experiences openly, and with courage and vulnerability, and creating sometimes incredibly hilarious content um, on things like TikTok and, you know, people sharing um, on, you know, podcasts and social media. And so it's, it's becoming more accessible and relatable in terms of these mediums that we have available now, which we didn't back then. I also think more therapists are becoming more aware of it and, you know, telling clients, you know, hey, have you thought about, you know, this? That's how I was diagnosed um, when my therapist was no, I don't even know what I said at the time, but, um, and I was like, no, not me, you know, cause in my mind, even four years ago, you know, growing up in the eighties, nineties, it, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't talked about, it, it 
you know, um, in, in the same way it is now. So I think we're making progress, but I think there's still a long way to go. And I think more needs to be written, taught, spoken mm-hmm. about it in terms of the strengths of ADHDers. There's just too much negativity out there and a focus on on the challenges and not nearly enough on on the gifts of ADHD people and, and how this way of like being, thinking, you know, making connections uh, can be really valuable to the world. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely one of the reasons you stood out for me and why I wanted to have your perspective on specifically is because I do think that there's a lot of, um, like I said, like not even, sometimes it is negativity and sometimes it's just like joking about the challenges. Right. And it's kind of like sarcastically poking fun at something that is a a real struggle for people. So I love your perspective of coming at it from strengths versus challenges. And I guess in your own coaching practice, like how do, what are some of the ways that you help people to use their ADHD as a superpower and see it as a strength? Yeah. So, you know, my approach, I start when meeting everyone is really to say it's, it's, it's a strengths based approach. And what that means is we start by exploring and understanding um, your core character strengths. And there's a, you know, free survey that I give to people. Not everyone's, you know, find surveys super, you know, helpful, but I've found it to be a good starting place um, for us. And, you know, it's, it's short and sometimes can give enlightening information to folks. And a lot of times ADHDers, particularly the ones maybe later diagnosed in life, um, although some, you know, diagnose younger, uh, don't necessarily recognize what their strengths are. You know, they're regularly looking at what's quote unquote not working, you know, um, or, or how they're struggling and what needs to sort of, they think need come, you know, to be fixed. And so that's where I start off with, this is strengths-based. You do not need to be fixed. Um, but I don't actually myself use the language of, of superpower. And I know some ADHDers do, and, and that's great if they see it as a superpower and they embrace that term and they're, you know, really thriving in, in life, then that's awesome. Um, uh, but I don't use it because I know, you know, it wasn't too long ago where I was feel like I was really, really struggling and didn't have a good sense of how my brain worked. And thinking of ADHD as a superpower was, you know, the furthest thing from my mind. So... Um, I use the client's language when, when talking about it. Um, and I think language matters. So, um, you know, and for a lot of folks that are coming to me, they're not at the point where they're seeing themselves as having a superpower. Um, they're, you know, in some sort of crisis or, you know, have a couple kids now and, you know, feeling like they, they can't keep it all together when they, they were five years ago and, and need help. Right. Um, and another thing I would say is, you know, in addition to the strengths is coaching is client led. And so what that means is, you know, and it, we start with, you know, what do you want to change in your life? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Mm-hmm. Um, so these are our foundation. And, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm partnering with clients to create a safe space for them to be their authentic selves, to take off the masks. Um, that they put on on a daily basis and may not even be aware of it uh, and help them identify, you know, what does 
living the life they've always wanted, what does that mean for them? What would that look like? What would that feel like? Some of them, you know, haven't been able to take a pause in their life to even think in that way um, because, you know, they've been managing undiagnosed ADHD, for example, for, you know, 50 years of their life. Um, So what I really try to do is help clients to see themselves in a new light Mm. Um, and, you know, identify, you know, what it is they want together. We partner and and how to get there. And then session by session, we, we make a plan um, so it can happen. And in the process, clients are increasing their, their self-awareness of how their unique ADHD brilliant brain works and what they need to put in place as tools and strategies as Tracy Otsuka, who runs the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast, uh, she calls them workarounds. Um, and in addition to self awareness, a lot of self compassion is something that um, we all need a lot of, ADHD or not. <laughs> um, but with coaching, um, we really get specific in terms of, you know, at the heart of sort of what's going on. What are some of the limiting beliefs that people are telling themselves? Is there you know, perhaps uh, a pushback on ADHD and, you know, trying to fight how your brain works and having these quote unquote neurotypical standards of of being and, and linear thinking, as opposed to embracing that your brain is different and that is fascinating and awesome. And let's dive into how cool your brain is. Um, and take it from a strengths-based lens and really coaching is you know forward moving action oriented so getting people out of the you know rumination or fear-based living you know self-doubt self-criticism and hopefully not only make concrete steps towards whatever it is that that they want more of or or less of or want to change but also have this deeper transformative understanding of who they are and who they want to be and doing that by celebrating their ADHD brain. Yeah, beautiful. Um, There was something that the content, the content person to me can't help but pull out. And it's going to kind of lead me into my next question. So you talked about how a lot of ADHDers are not using the language superpower. And I just want to highlight like vocal highlight or audio highlight or whatever that, because I think that's really important for all of us, regardless of what we're doing in our businesses, is to use the language of our clients and be, you know, make them feel seen and and heard by using their language. So I really just want to like applaud you in that and also just let it be a reminder for everybody listening that that is like the most beautiful gift we can give to the people that we're looking to attract and working with. Um, On this topic, because it just kind of like brings me right there, I personally, and I know that a a lot of folks in my um, 
close circle, we work with a lot of different brains. And I know for a fact that some of these brains are ADHD brains. And I want to know, like for myself, how can I and the and the business owners listening, how can we be more inclusive for people that are not thinking like us? Like, how can we create a little more, um, I'm going to just say neurodiverse friendly in our client processes and in our workspaces? Sure. Yeah. So uh, there's so many things. So I, I uh, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but first, I think just thank you for even asking the question and getting curious. And I think that's my starting point is, is, is get curious, right? And recognize that not everyone thinks the way you, you do or approaches things in, you know, the same way. Um, and, and that's a good thing right? Um, if we all did, gosh, what a boring world it would be. <laughs> um, and exhausting. So I'm <laughs> like, a, um, ADHD can be very tiring with so many ideas and things happening in your head. So I think, it would, yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, yeah. um, so for, for business owners, I'd say to, to kind of be more, you know, in, inclusive from those who might not think like they do, a um, couple of concrete things are just recognizing first that there are millions of people out there who are neurodivergent and who think differently. So if you're not including these different thinkers in, you know, how you approach your business, you're potentially missing out on mm. a lot of, of people. So concretely, you know, website accessibility and inclusive design and, and communications channels. Uh, and now there are things like, uh, I think UserWay is the name of one and others where you can, you know, uh, just easily put um, something on your website that is neurodivergent friendly or, you know, accessibility friendly. Um, and the user will just click on whatever it is that makes sense for them to make their you know, screen bigger or their, have their text be read to them from your website. So things like that. Um, and if it's not easy to schedule with you or communicate with you in, in you know, their preferred way directly from your online channels, you're potentially losing clients. So if it takes me, you know, multiple steps to kind of reach out to you or ask a question or schedule, some people are going to be frustrated by that and go elsewhere pretty quickly. Um, if you require a lot of paperwork or administrative setup that's not straightforward, easy to complete, you're potentially missing out. Um, if, like I said, if it's hard to find information, not just your contact information, but just information in general um, or need to go multiple places, that could be another potential issue. Uh, and give people a way to ask for and, and you know, get what they need to do business with you. So extend an invitation uh, in, in some way. Um, and also, you know, just plan some time in your day to educate yourself a little bit mm. about neurodiversity and neurodivergent people. Um, I can include some, you know, resources on my website. Uh, places for folks to go. Um, at UConn, they have a center um, for entrepreneurship, and they're recently, last couple of years, launched a, a neurodiversity uh, and inclusion, you know, program there, and partnering with businesses and, and colleges. 
uh, and you know they have some resources on there. Um, other companies such as NeuroTalent Works, based in California, they have some great resources on there as well, um, pointing to you know other different sources and, and websites. So you can really just be a little more proactive, um, and you know part of the the solution and being more inclusive. Um, and I think most people do want to be inclusive, right? Sometimes they just don't know how. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. <laughs> I was just agreeing. <laughs> no, you're good. No, you didn't cut me off at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wrote down six. Um, get curious. Not everyone thinks how you do. Recognize that uh, people do think differently and you're missing out and missing the mark if you're not paying attention to this. Um, make it easy. Make it easy for people to schedule and reach out and fill out your paperwork. Uh, it's funny, as you were saying that, I have a... Intro, um, for my one-to-one -one clients, I do have an onboarding client form. Um, and half of them don't even fill it out. And I'm like, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> like just <laughs> whatever works. Um, making information easy to find. I love the reminder to extend an invitation and setting time aside to educate yourself. So yes, please share with me those resources and I'll um, make sure that they're in the show notes. And I'll also make sure that in the show notes, there's a link to that user way, because I think that's really good for people to check out for their own websites and helping with the accessibility on there too. Um, as far as your information goes, how can listeners find and connect with you online? I know that there are going to be people interested in like, okay, I want to know more about this coaching because everything you described in how you handle your coaching is piquing my interest right now. So how can people find and connect with you online? Sure. So my website is shellylionscoaching.com. And from there, you can schedule uh, a free 30-minute consultation. Um, it's really just a very informal chat to learn more about coaching, hear a little bit more about you know my approach, ask any questions, um, and you know from there, if it seems like we're a good fit, then um, we can you know begin working together. Um, you do not have to be diagnosed with ADHD or another neurodivergent. Um, most of my clients um, at least suspect that they um, are if they're not already diagnosed, um, but that's certainly not uh, a requirement. And my approach is holistic, so it doesn't necessarily have to be career related or, you know, mm -hmm. personal life. Um, it could be, you know, you just want to get more organized or you want to learn, you know, write a book and you're having trouble getting started and, you know, want to um, plan. And then for, for entrepreneurs who have, you know, so many things on their plate, sometimes it's just, it's managing it all um, uh, and, and, you know, prioritizing what's most important, uh, which can sometimes be a challenge related to executive functioning as well. Uh, and my email, which is also just on the website, is Shelly at ShellyLionsCoaching.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure um, all that's in the show notes too. Before we wrap up, wrap up, um, is there anything that I did not ask you that you wished I had asked you? Um, so I really appreciate just your approach and sending questions in advance and your just thoughtfulness around this is really just neuro-inclusive. And I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, you're 
you know, reading emails um, uh, that, you know, is an option you can click on. I, I love that. Uh, and that's something that that's helpful to a lot of folks. Um, but there are a number of other things that employers can do. I kind of highlighted some of the, the things for, for business owners. Um, but there's a lot of things that employers can do to create uh, neurodiverse friendly or neuroinclusive workspaces. Um, but I can include some of those on the resources section uh, of my website. Yeah, I um, we would thank you, first of all, for the compliment. That is so nice of you to say. And I do, like, I'm trying to expand the way that uh, my brain operates to meet people where they're at. So I really appreciate you giving me that feedback. Um, feel free for any employers listening to share, like, maybe one or two with us. And then we'll also include the resources. We'll include it in the the show notes for the resources. Sure. So first I would say recognizing that when you focus on creating neuro-inclusive workplaces, the practices and, and new norms that you create benefit everyone. Mm. Everybody. Um, another is focus on employee strengths, not the weaknesses, um, and, and give enough um, you know, feedback that's both positive and that's clear and specific for, for how to, um, you know, improve. Don't be vague. Don't like, you know, um, be wishy-washy about things. Just say it like it is. People that are neurodivergent really appreciate that. Uh, and another is be specific in your requests, your priorities and expectations. When we're guessing what's important or what we're supposed to be doing sometimes, um, it can really drain our energy and be anxiety inducing. Um, so if there's something that's a creative project where we have free reign to like run with something, let us know that. And that's awesome. And we'll run with it. But if there are some concrete things that you're looking for or a deadline, um, give us the context around that. The more we understand the why, um, and when something is due and, and, you know, what's important about this, we'll be more able to be more motivated and, and get into productivity mode because we won't be having so many questions running through our brain. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for that, Shelly. Um, because I think that like these are two gifts we can give to everybody, just like you said, like it makes a positive impact on everybody in the workplace. But the gift being, um, A, focus on the positive in people and in on their strengths and like what makes them so great at being them. And B, when you are giving a request for change, when you are giving feedback, uh, be really specific and clear in the communication of what needs to happen. So those are two things like we can both, we can all start applying today. And I just love those. So thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thanks so much for joining me and being my guest and big props to Shelly, like most prepared guest ever and asked me just questions that light a podcaster's heart up. Like I cannot tell you so, so many of the horror stories of how people show up and you just did such a great job of being like prepared and asking me everything you need to ensure that this interview went amazing. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's been lovely talking to you. So thanks so much for inviting me. 
To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.